Hi, I'm Austis Jamstotter-Anerud, former Olympic javelin thrower turned mental performance mentor and mom of two. Join me and my incredible guests as we explore the mind's role in peak performance. Let's unlock your mental strengths together. This is the Athlete Zone podcast. Welcome to episode number 11. Today I was interviewing Kelsey Lee Barber. She's an Australian javelin thrower. She was the world champion in 2019 and 2022. She was actually the only woman in history to successfully defend her world title when she did that in Oregon. And not only that, but she also took the bronze medal at the Tokyo Olympics. But what is most impressive about Kelsey is the fact that she is one of those athletes that manages to perform at her absolute best when it matters the most. Like she can pull out those magic performances under pressure and that's how she has won her titles and that's how she took the Olympic bronze. So I was so excited to interview Kelsey and I have to admit that when I decided to start this podcast and I decided that I was going to interview athletes, then I knew I wanted to get Kelsey on here because her story is just so incredible. She has worked on her mindset her entire career and it shows. She has been so methodical and she really shows you what is possible. Now, I don't want to keep this any longer, but before... I let Kelsey take over. I just want to drop in a quick reminder because I want to ask you to do me a favor. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you're getting any value from it, please, please, please take a few seconds to leave me a rating. It's going to help me reach more people. You're basically telling others that this is worth their time. So if you would do that, I'd be so happy. But let's go and listen to my chat with Kelsey. Hey, Kelsey, how are you doing? Welcome to the Athlete Zone podcast. Hi, yeah, very excited to be here and to have a chat. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. It was uh, exciting because you're nine hours ahead of me. I had an interview, um, when was it? A few days ago. Uh, that was last week's episode. And, uh, and that uh, that was a Swedish chopper based in the US. So she was like seven hours behind me. So it's been an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> You've been it's around been- the world this last week then. I've been around. I actually didn't like barely left my house here in Sweden, but I've been around. <laughs> but so uh, some people that might be tuning in to listen to this episode might not know who you are. So why don't you start with that? Give us like the short rundown of who's Kelsey. Okay, I am Kelsey Lee Barber, Australian javelin thrower. I guess my accolades are two-time world champion and Olympic bronze medalist. But ultimately I am... A very passionate, very dedicated person uh, pursuing this lovely sport of javelin. Yeah, very good summary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually, I I don't know. Yeah, well, you saw it because I posted on my story. You reposted it. I always, when I have interviews, I give the people who are listening uh, a chance to post a question. And I got a few questions for you. And actually, the first question kind of comes right at the beginning, because I know that like when you started with athletics, you were doing multiple events and then you were doing like more throwing events. Actually, you were focusing on discus in the beginning, weren't you? Yes, that's right. Yep. Early days, that was uh, how I was introduced to athletics. So javelin was probably not the first love. (laughs) Were you at that point like, I'm going to be a discus thrower? Well, I think it started ultimately as this idea of I want to be an Olympian and I didn't 
I wasn't necessarily very good at one particular thing at that point in time, but I knew I had this, this goal and this dream and I was going to pursue that to the ends of the earth. So was slightly better at some of the throwing events and quite enjoyed discus. But I don't know whether you could say fell into javelin or javelin found me and connected with it. But I was definitely a little bit older. I was um, 16, turning 17 when I found that event, but had success at a school's event and decided that this was it. This was the thing that was going to get me there and I was going to pursue that wholeheartedly. Wow, this is funny. Like the listener question was actually, when did you start with javelin? So that was when you were 16, about to turn 17. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So very late in when you talk about, yeah, pursuit of elite sports or high end yeah. sports. But I look at that time, look back at that time and I wouldn't change it. I think the only reason I'd say I wish I'd got into it earlier was honestly just to have more time with the javelin, more time with the event. But I really put praise to all my earlier events and all my exposure to sports at an early age as to why I possibly had success um, with the javelin or connected with it so much easier um, later in life. Yeah, it's it's hilarious that I actually had the exact same beginning and I started with shot and discus as well. <laughs> but then yeah. like I saw more possibilities in the javelin and I was actually I was just one year younger than you when I decided to go for a javelin. It's funny. But there you so go. you <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well you started with the javelin there and you started pursuing it, but you made your first team at the Commonwealth Games in twenty fourteen. What did that change for you when you had made your like first international team? I guess, actually, that's a really good one because I went into that Commonwealth Games expecting to feel this wave of emotion that I had had success in this first games. I'd made my first Australian team, was wearing the green and gold. But I think ultimately or deep down, I sort of knew that it was really only the beginning of my journey. Uh (laughs) I felt that this was really just just the taste. This was the start of it. And there was so much more to come. So I never really had that overwhelming um, emotion of like having had that first taste of success in terms of making a team. I just felt that I was, I was on the road. I was, Mm. you know, on the stepping stones to my journey in the sport. Okay. But did you get like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I want more of this. Did you get that feeling? Most definitely. I think what I got from that Commonwealth Games experience was just that this is where I wanted to be. This is what I wanted to be doing and give me more of this. (laughs) (laughs) I want to keep coming back year after year. And it also was a sense of belonging. I really felt that this was this is where I was supposed to be and this is what I was supposed to be doing. So that for me, that exposure and I guess was really grateful that it was a Commonwealth Games because that was maybe an introductory level to that scene and that sport. Yes, it was multi-games, but I wasn't competing against the whole world at that point. And I think it was a really nice taste for what was to come um, in the following years. But wow, it just, yeah, it set my, set my soul on fire in a really good way. <laughs> well, that's very good to hear. I, I, I definitely also had a similar experience with that, but it was like the junior championships. But I know how much it's just like, oh, I want more. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But you certainly, you certainly started making championships after that. After that, you went to the world championships the year after, and then you made the Rio Olympic team. But you maybe, yeah, you had. I know I've heard you say that uh, that it was disappointing <laughs> performances, but I know you struggled with some injury there before Rio. But you're 
breakthrough came in 2017. What was it that happened there? Was there something from your Olympic experience? Like what changed there in between 16 and 17? Yeah, I'd most certainly say that that was a, a pivotal part of my career. And I think it came off the back of the disappointment at the Rio, Rio Games. And yes, I can look back and say that what I like my performance at that Games was at my capacity. I'd come in with a stress fracture. I can I can rationalize it um, intellectually and put it in its place and say like, cool, that's where it stood. But off the back of that, I think there was just this ultimate desire to be to be better (laughs) I don't think there's any other way to say it there was like I didn't want to be in that position where I missed out on a final again uh you know as much as I can say I enjoy watching the other girls compete and throw there was definitely a point sitting in the crowd watching that final where I was devastated that I wasn't in and amongst it and I sort of vowed that that was never going to happen again um You know, we reviewed the season and we reviewed the technical model and we came away from that really clear on the direction that we needed to take the throw. And I was I was just so determined to be better. Uh, That was probably the driving force behind it. And, you know, there were parts of the parts of being an athlete that I hadn't yet experienced with really being on tour and uh, experiencing diamond leagues. And I wanted to be in and amongst and a part of all of that. So yeah, there was some definite like changes from training and uh, like physical preparation that needed to happen. But I guess ultimately it was, it was the, the drive behind it that was, I guess, more mental than anything. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you're saying that. I just want to say that as much as I love watching Javelin, I had the exact same experience. I hated watching the final from the stands. <laughs> yeah, and like a credit to to anyone who can sit on the sidelines and be content with that, but that's not me. <laughs> it never has been. <laughs> and I, mean, I think I- until the day that I finish, it won't be. Oh, it's not going to change when you finish. I finish now and I still am like, oh, I want to. I, I wish I, I was there. Yeah, exactly. I, I loved how I talked to Thomas Röller and he said, I hate watching Manch Javelin because I want to be there. I want to throw. It doesn't matter what competition. I want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But I didn't want to go into this just yet, but I just want to pause a little bit on what you said there. You talked about how you kind of debriefed it. You talked about how you kind of took away what you needed to like what you needed to improve and you went into that thoroughly I know you and Mike your husband and coach for those that don't know you you think a lot about this and I have to admit to you like obviously this podcast was supposed to be and is all about the mental side of sport I had had Mm. the idea to start this podcast for a really long time before I did it and I can tell you with full respect for any other guest or future guest that I've ever had when I had that idea and I decided I was going to interview athletes I was like Kelsey I gotta get Kelsey (laughs) on the show that was like the first (laughs) and here we are so I'm super excited no but it is because I know that you guys uh you think a lot about the mental side and you not I mean a lot of people are aware that it's important and maybe do something about it but I love how methodical you guys are and it is seems like it's a part of the whole process and it has been for a long time so that's why I want to just because you said that you debriefed the Olympics Mm. and you realized and you talked about there was physical change but mental as well that happened there 
How is what does that process look like for you when you debrief a season and when you go into a new one? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, or did or does? <laughs> yeah, so it it probably has evolved over the years, and we've probably mm. refined it, and it's become uh, possibly even more engaged with the the people in our team. But there is a process in that I will go away and spend some time debriefing from my point of view. And it's often prompted by some questions from Mike and it's thorough when, and when I say thorough, it's, it's pages <laughs> worth of interpretation on, and I guess it's an opportunity for me to get my thoughts and feelings and emotions and, um, you know, everything that's kind of like the soup of Javelin world out on paper for me to sort of sift through. And then, so you write from it that down. debrief. Yeah, write I write it down. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. yep. And I guess it started as simply as um, actual written and then yeah. it's transformed into sometimes it's typed. And then sometimes, you know, in occasion I've gone back to written because I'll come back and write notes in the margins. Like, um, yeah, I'll sit with it. Often we'll sort of like give ourselves a week to sort of sit with those questions and come back to them and review them. And then Mike does the same from his point of view. And then we'll get get together and we'll sit down and we'll we'll talk about it. We'll some of the questions will go into detail and we'll analyze from both perspectives and then draw out the elements that we think are really important to take forward. Sometimes it's just an acknowledgement of what happened in that season and say like, cool, we acknowledge that we did this, um, and we'll strive to do better next year, and then leave it at that. Some things need actioned. Some things don't. Some things just need acknowledgement. And yeah. that that process between the two of us has become. Yeah, it's it's something that is definitely a, a whole part of the season because I guess it's broken into that like end of season review, but we have micro reviews through the season now as well. And I think that keeps us on track and it keeps us aligned with our goals and it keeps us moving forward to towards those goals through the season as well. So it's it's really important. And I think for me, and it, it stands so true, is that sometimes I just need to write it down. I need to voice it. And once it's out there, it's it then becomes a, a joint problem to solve rather than just yeah. for me to try and sit and like grind away at something. Um, yeah. You can lean on the people around me to try and help problem solve that. Yeah, I love that. And and also, doesn't it help? I mean, I, I just assume that you then keep these papers or pages that you write. And isn't it cool to maybe go back and look at like how how where was I at like three years ago? And like, wow, I've come so far. Like these yeah, things. Yeah, it is that... actually, you're totally right because um, I guess it's one of the things as an athlete always striving forward, you don't always see how far you've come. Exactly. And it's really nice to take that pause moment to and reflect on mm. the processes or the evolution or the achievements that maybe were overlooked because you fell short on a larger goal. Yeah. So Mike actually pulled up some notes, I think, from the 2022 season because we had a obviously our end of 21 season debrief prep for 22 and I'd written my goals down clear as day and we came back um part way through or end of that year and looked at that and was like wow look at all that we've achieved this year yeah, <laughs> this is what we sat down together and said right we're going after this so yeah, yeah I think that's really nice to say like don't forget to to pause and reflect on those those moments in time as well so what kind of things is it? Is it just like technical things? Is it also mindset things? If you just give us like a little example. 
Um, so. so, yeah, I guess it starts with the debrief of the previous season with like, what were our goals? Did we achieve them? Things we did well, things we didn't do well, things we could improve. And it goes through a list of um, like physical, mental, uh, I think Mike calls it like tactical in mm-hmm. a sense. Um, yeah. We sort of bring in that and then we look at and assess like the team, who's in our team. And then from a coach athlete uh, relationship as well. Is there anything that needs to be addressed? Is there anything needs to change? Uh, yeah. So we go through all of those from a previous season's perspective, and then we essentially translate that into a cool. Now we're going to pause that and look forward to next year and essentially mm-hmm. go through the same things on goals, things to work on, things to improve. Um, yeah. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I I love that. And it has to be like, you need to be aware of these things to be able to like absolutely get the best out of you. So everybody listening to this, take notes. (laughs) This is gold that you're getting here. (laughs) I think as well, like when they're written down, you hold hold yourself accountable to those actions as much as anything. Yeah, that is so true. And also just you remember them. I mean, you have like, being able to pull it down uh, pull it out like halfway through the season and like you can always review them again and again if it's just Mm. it becomes clearer also when it's out of your head and on paper so that really helps but okay so that was a little detour on that i just wanted to catch (laughs) it because you mentioned it but yeah then at the world championships i'm gonna have to like go really fast through this because there's so many things that (laughs) i want to talk about let's go (laughs) yeah it is like let's go let's go now you made the final at the world championships in 2017 um why don't you 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 had had a very good season obviously you come in there with definitely high goals and why don't you tell us about that competition a little bit like the qualifying how did it feel and and so on yeah, so uh, I'm going to take a moment to just say that this is the first and only World Championships that I have ever automatically qualified for. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just put that into perspective as well and just yeah. say like, how crazy is this event. Um, exactly. But yeah, you're right. I did. I had a pretty consistent season coming into that World Championships. I was I was on the tour on the Diamond League, so I'd had a bit more exposure to the girls I guess I was going to come up against had had some experience from Beijing World Championships, so knew what to expect um, from a World Championships, had competed in that stadium, like had a lot more experience behind me coming into it, but obviously had never actually been in a final. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where the, the changing point for me was that by having automatically qualified and getting my spot into the final, I think I let my prep slip a little bit in the fact that I felt like it was a free swing at it. So mm. I felt like I was going into the final with nothing to lose yeah. when in actual fact, there was still a lot on the line and still a lot that I was needing to put into place and needing to put into practice to execute what would I consider um, a well-prepared competition. I think that coupled with the fact that I hadn't had a lot of experience in backing up so soon between a, a qualifying and a final, mm. uh, there were a few things physically that didn't hold up in that transition as well so yeah there was a little bit of like held back a little bit physically on from my body but also yeah actually fell short on the fact that there was something to lose in that final and that didn't really hit me until I was in ninth position missing out on a top eight and an extra three throws so there was a little bit of naivety in that and probably nothing from um anything that's 
you know, someone couldn't have necessarily told me that's how it was going to happen. It was sort of one of those ones where you needed to experience it for yourself to learn from that mistake and learn from that to be better prepared for next time. So yeah, uh, honestly, a really great learning experience, however disappointing that end result was. But again, I can look back on it and say, you know what, like, Again, I threw over 60 meters. There were still some things in there that I can be really proud of, but I am super hard on myself. I I always have been. I hold myself to an exceptionally high standard. And as far as I was concerned, I I fell short at that competition. And that was the reality of it. But was it maybe a little bit like you you hadn't made the uh, the final the two years before. So you come in and a little bit there's a lot of focus on making the final. And then when you have an automatic qualifier, you maybe like get a little oh, deflated because you achieved that goal. And did you already think past that goal where you already had to, uh, did you have your mind on the final or was that maybe? A uh, bit? No, always qualifying first. So yeah. that was definitely the first, it's just one of the steps um, yeah. in a championship, if that's the best way to describe it. Uh, but I think it was less so about the relief of making that final and more about the energy that I got um, from from making that final. So I almost felt like I swung in the opposite direction. Okay. I was almost like fueled by this automatic qualification by the distance that I'd thrown. Um, um, whether you can say that I've almost fell into a, like a little bit arrogant, maybe. Yeah. Um, just a little bit like, yeah, chest puffed up, bring it on, ready to go. Nothing's going to knock me about. Like, <laughs> I, I'm in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay. So it was yeah, actually so the I exact fell in the opposite, opposite end. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So that I, that's very interesting. So then maybe rather you like lost your focus a little bit because you were like, oh, you were so pumped. You wanted everything. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's why I say it was 100% a learning experience. And I love that you say that as well, because I still remember I was in that final with you. And I still remember when we were walking out of the stadium. I don't know if you remember this. And I, I uh, walked past you and Mike somewhere and he was hugging you and you were just crying your eyes out like you couldn't hide your yeah. disappointment. And you're just absolutely devastated. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but I came to you and I hugged you and I said something like, you're going to go get them in Doha. Like, you know, <laughs> you're going to get them in Doha. Oh, I love you're gonna these turn this around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And... Because you say that it's a learning experience and you le- obviously took a lot from that. And how do you think that maybe helped you a lot in Doha? Like you, you took this, like, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to turn it around. You know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's why I say it was a learning experience because yeah. I did. I stopped and I had time and I reflected from it. And I was like, cool, what did I not do well that I can learn from and put elements of strategy around it so it doesn't happen again like that is that's ultimately what you're trying to do when you when you fall short in these championship meets and so yeah yeah, coming into Doha I had again now I've got Beijing and I've got London behind me I've got an Olympics in there as well I am so much better prepared and have so many more tools in my kit box to to pull out when uh, I sort of know what's coming this time and I know how to to handle it a little bit better and as I said, just using my experience in each of my years to grow and become a better athlete. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just, I had these experiences as well. It's like something that's so devastating in the moment. 
and it can be like you feel like it's this huge failure but if you use it correctly like you obviously did and i would love to point out that i was right (laughs) 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 no but it's like if you use it correctly you can make something great come out of it like that unbelievable moment you had in doha but uh, i mean there was this 2018 season in between there where you Mm. you kept on growing you took silver at the commonwealth you had the commonwealth games again and then in 2019 it was just like you just explode you were just having pb after pb after pb and you're just going up there up there and it was it was incredible to compete with you and get to watch you there in that season what was it that happened there what was so different in 2019 yeah this is this is one of those seasons that i look back on and i was kind of like not that i ever took it for granted during during that period but you know (laughs) i look back and i was like wow it was easy (laughs) it wasn't don't get me wrong there was still hard times during that season but there was just so much of it that that did go well or did go right but i think yeah there's there's, guess there's one or two really key parts of that 2018 debrief, which I feel like really steered the success in 2019. And one of them was a debrief with my sports psychologist around like peaking for performance. And I sort of felt like in my review of 2018, I had had some successful competitions that weren't necessarily targeted competitions and the ones we did target I still fell short on or didn't feel like I got the best out of myself and it was during that review process that we came up with a strategy of how we were going to move forward into targeted comps in 2019 and the other part of it was Mike and I sort of sat back and we said like well the distances in 2018 are there and they're probably reasonably reasonably consistent. I won't say they were the best consistency, but it was like, we're still not throwing far enough to be in the medals. That is just the honest truth. And we can't be in and amongst the medals unless we've actually got that distance on the board. So it was like, we need to get the distance up. And secondly, we need to be confident that we can throw that any day of the week. Yeah. Because we know that championships bring their own stress. They bring their own environment and they bring championship, you know, whatever. And it was like, cool. So if we can replicate this on any given day under any given circumstances, that just, again, you've just got tools that you can reach into um, Mm. to help you better be best prepared for whatever the day brings. So Mm. I guess there were two, two main things that I really strove to improve going into that 2019 season. And I felt like I had success in both of them. Yeah. That's that's very good. And it's so true because you can obviously you have to be able to deliver these distances consistently. You can't expect to come into championships and like now I'm going to do my absolute best. I'm going to do something special. I mean, of course it happens. But how many times does that happen? Like you can't say like I need my best throw of the year or something like that to make the final or to medal and depend on that happening on that day. It's just... I mean, of yeah, course it can I, happen, but... <laughs> I was going to say, I agree. I probably shook my head a little bit too early there. Like, it can happen, it does happen, and it's amazing yeah. to witness. But I think it's more just the fact you can't go into those championships hoping it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. You have to be confident that you know you can, you, can, you can bring something to the table. Exactly. So, you know, then when it came to Doha, after having such an amazing season, like, how did you feel going into the championships? 
into the championships itself oh, yeah. it was a bit of a whirlwind of emotions <laughs> because, um, yeah, I, funnily enough, had a shoulder injury that season. So leading up into that championship, it didn't show <laughs> two throwing sessions in six weeks leading up to that championships. Okay. So, yeah, I just there, I look back at that season and there was just such a connection to the throw and yeah. to the javelin. I was, I haven't, I haven't felt that since 2019, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, that that's why I say, I look back on that season so fondly and say like, Oh, it was so easy. (laughs) I was just so in tune with my technical model that it was so easy to get the most out of my throw. It was so easy to connect with the javelin. It was so easy to make changes within competition because I was just so in tune with it. And I think that's, that is one of the reasons that I was able to do all the work around the throw and trust that coming to that championships, it was still there. I still had access to it. I knew how to find it. I still had feel for it. And the two or like the few sessions that I had had leading into that uh, showed me enough that I was still really confident that my throw was there. Okay. This is very interesting. I did not know that you you hadn't been able to throw there before, but I I just have to pause there because I know it's so easy when you're going into a big competition. If you're in this situation, maybe have a little injury, you can't throw to panic. And I talked to Maria Andrzejczyk. She had the same mm. same thing going on in before Tokyo. And I talked to Thomas. He had the same thing going on before the Rio Olympics. And both of them obviously managed to perform there. And I'm going to ask you what I asked them. Like, what did you do then? What was the preparation like? Did you do any mental preparation then instead since you couldn't throw? What did you do? Yes. Yeah, I relied heavily on visualization. And I have I use this technique every year in my preparation for championship meets. But for me, that is a huge part of being able to bridge the gap between the actual doing and the still doing like for me yeah. I was still throwing the javelin for me I was still on that runway I was still in that stadium preparing myself for championship throwing I was still connecting with the feel of the throw I was still feeling the hit of the block and the pull of the javelin and the the flick of my fingers like for me it was still very very real and I was able to build that out from you know the days that we were still training so it was replicating training throws and then we were in Doha I was replicating throws in Doha and then I was replicating throws in the stadium under lights in a stadium condition because that was the best preparation I could give myself leading into that yeah so you saw all of the details like you said even like you felt the flick of your fingers at the end of the throw like everything okay seriously people take notes Yeah, I guess I have a, a pattern of building it out. As I said, it starts with just me on the runway and then we build it out and then it's me in the stadium. It's me under lights. It's me with my competitors around there. It's me with the flag being lifted to say that it's the start of the runway. It's me with the, the timer going down. Like there are, there are details in that, even to the point where I am recognizing competitors and they're like, uh, nuances within competition to try and bring as much familiarity to that yeah, scenario wow. as possible. <laughs> that is amazing. So, but yeah. did you ever try to, I know that both uh, Maria and, and Thomas actually talked about this, but did you ever do like, they used healing visualization? So it's oh, like, yes, I have done this. 
Yeah, so they imagine yeah. just their body healing. Did yeah, you do that? this is a really wonderful technique that I've used, um, again, on multiple occasions. And I think it's unique to everyone's, um, like how they build it out. But I, again, have found it very, very comforting, I guess, is the best way for me to describe it. Because in a situation where your body needs time to heal or, again, as an athlete who feels like need to be doing something to feel like I'm improving or making progress or helping my body along or seeing progress towards this goal, that felt like it gave me a little bit of control back um, in this scenario. So by spending time and energy and yes, while I might be in a chair or lying down, it still felt like it. I was giving back to my body. I was, yeah. I was helping it along. I was helping the healing process in any yeah. way that I knew how. Um, yeah, so I, I felt like it's, yeah, a really... Uh, if you do ever find yourself in that situation, definitely lean, lean into that process. I say yeah. it's, it's a good one to have up your sleeve. Exactly. And it's like, say what you will about science and, and whether this is real or not. And like the, the thing is just that placebo effect is super, super potent. So it's like, if it's nothing else than that, I'll take it. If it works, it works. Yeah. I don't care how. Yeah. <laughs> I think the main the main thing to any of this though is you have to believe it and you have to buy into it. Yeah, it's like, if you don't, it's not going to work. <laughs> I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, I mean your mind is just so insanely strong. It's just it's crazy. But anyway, speaking of, so you go there and you you make the final in Doha. Like you come into the qualification, you you struggled there a little bit. You took all three throws, didn't you? Yeah. Yep. Came in tenth. Went into the final in 10th. <laughs> yeah, that must have been... You were in the first pool and you had to mm. wait for a second. Oh, that must have been yep. great. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. Oh. Uh, again, I've had this on uh, one too many occasions. Yeah. <laughs> and I put myself in this position. You like to make it exciting. <laughs> but how did you feel then before the final? Was there at any point that you, that you had this worry, especially since you hadn't been able to throw... You know, did you worry that London was going to repeat itself or did you uh, doubt that no. or did you just go, no, I'm going to do it? No, no, not at all. I, I, again, this is, you know, my learning, my wisdom, my training all coming into play in this, but I guess, yeah, very like pretty stressful qualifying left myself in that position, being in the first pool and not getting the auto. Uh, and then watching the second pull unravel. But I guess through that whole process, I already started my preparations for the final. Like I had prepared myself that I was going through. So started doing what I needed to do. Yeah, and then when to. Mike gave, yeah, when Mike gave me the confirmation that it was like, yep, this is a done deal. You're through. I was able to just sort of like flick a switch and say, cool. There are things about that qualifying that we need to address. We're going to park that. We're going to, we're going to close that box up yeah. and we're going to put it aside because right now the focus is on the final. Yeah. And, and it, it was, was really only 24 short. hour turnaround. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we had absolutely no time to dwell on or unpack that qualifying. It, it was what it was. Uh, there were probably parts of it that was for me just again. Okay, cool. You've had a chance to hit the javelin hard. You've come off a full approach 
and you've pulled up all right from this that was probably all just confidence for me that was just mm. fueling that bucket of confidence to say like you've still you still got the feel you you're still in touch with it and it, it now it might hurt a little bit but you know the wheels aren't going to fall off yeah the shoulders <laughs> can just, take it it can't take yeah 100 percent. Yeah. so oh. after that it was all just about this preparation for the final and this opportunity to put in place the lessons I'd learned from London. Essentially, I was kind of like, I'm in, I'm in a much better place. I'm so much more prepared. I've got my goals set up for me now. I know how to approach this final better than I have previously. Um, I know the girls who are going to be there. And again, just this unwavering belief and confidence that I could throw far. Mm. And it wasn't even about I could throw far enough to medal. It was just that if I threw far enough or if I threw as far as I knew I was capable of, I'll be in the mix. Yeah. And that's all I wanted to do. That was all I wanted to go out and do because I'd had such a consistent season. I'd thrown a PB um, earlier that year. And it was like, I just want to go back out there and show the world what I'm capable of doing with a javelin. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. But I got a listener question exactly this like how do you prepare mentally and physically before competitions so i'm i think i'm gonna take it here like how did you prepare for that final because i think a lot of people like to know yeah <laughs> this is the same principle that comes into all all finals or, or at least all championship finals yeah. for me now is that it's it's three throws and then it's an additional three throws and it's about you sort of know your process for warm-up and you know how many throws you're going to get out in the field. And for me, it's just been about ready to hit them from the start. There is mm. essentially no like warming up process. No. <laughs> for no. me, it's about you've done all your warm up at the back. Your warm up in the field is about, you know, Fine getting tuning. the timing to connect, mm. yeah. feeling confident to hit it and preparing yourself to go after it. That's sort of where I sort of place my warm-ups in that sort of space and then again it's about the readiness for from round one yeah. to go so <laughs> do you ever like, this like gonna warm up into it gotta ease into it gotta find my rhythm it's kind of yeah. like those are wasted opportunities to throw far i'm there to win it <laughs> and yeah. i'm gonna be here from the start like put yeah. yourself in and amongst it from the beginning like give the girls something to chase make it a make a fight from the start like exactly. these are all yeah and these are all i guess like my traits as a, as an athlete is like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be in and amongst it and I'm going to fight you for it. Yeah. So bring it on. <laughs> I love that. But, uh, but, but if we, again, how, like the, how do you prepare for that? Like, do you visualize it? Do you say something to yourself? Like, what is it that gets you there? Yeah, I guess there's a couple things like that mental prep coming in. That's yeah. like, weeks and months of preparation up into that up into that point there is a process that i've refined over the years which comes into play um which again kind of starts day of competition for me i guess like yeah. there's just a a process in that preparation phase coming into a competition uh it's lining up exactly like my keywords and what i'm connecting with on the day with mike that we take into the competition, not overcomplicating it, keeping it really simple and really um, like rounded sort of cues so that I can connect to it easily. And then it's about the process between rounds, like 
cool, I've had my throw, but, and I'm going to debrief it with Mike. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to connect with a couple of things. And then that throw is done yeah. onto the next one, another opportunity to throw. And I guess that was a quite a big mindset or language shift for me was mm-hmm. that it was about opportunities yeah. within the competition. It was mm-hmm. never about one more throw or the last throw or one more chance at it. Yeah. I was always very like, I guess you could say optimistic language that allowed me to keep striving for it and never putting a ceiling on it and if my best throw had come earlier in the competition I never acknowledged that that was all I had it was always kind of like cool what else have we got what more can we tap into what other tools do I have access to today so opportunities new opportunities yeah absolutely never yeah and I still don't feel like I I've never put the ceiling on myself within a competition. I've always left it open to the possibility of what could be. So you haven't experienced this like, oh, wow, like you broke the record and you kind of get a little deflated. You always have this like, okay, this is done. I can still put full focus on the next throw. Because that was actually another question. Like, how do you like focus when you maybe have had a really good throw or PB or something and just stay on track and not start to like, oh, try too hard or something? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've, I, I think I've only really had maybe one occasion where this has been the case, but there were some other, um, like some other things going on in the background that we needed yeah, okay. to bring into play. But that I think the one time that that has happened was at the twenty twenty two World Championships where I threw my best throw in round three, yeah. and uh, it was quite a big jump in distances that I'd had for a number of years. So like from that perspective, you could almost say it was a PB throw. Mike and I did consider like the risk of continuing on after that throw versus, um, you know, we had another championship in two weeks time. So we weighed the risks in that competition. We decided that, you know, my body's just done something it hasn't done for a number of years. And we've still got to back up in two weeks time for another championship meet. Uh, We're feeling pretty confident at this stage that we can sit in a holding pattern and that if I need to come back out, I've got enough, like enough in reserve to find a lift if I needed it to. But that's probably the one and only time that we've sort of made that call and made that decision. But most of my best throws have actually come from round six. I was going to say, you maybe don't have this problem because you always bring it on the last attempt. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, but- and again, I think, I think what, you know, a lot of people want to know like how or why or what is it about round six that you, you like can find something else. And again, I think it's the mindset in the language that I bring to that final round. Yeah. It's about cool one more opportunity to show what I've got yeah. one more opportunity to throw this javelin in this competition, in this environment, under these lights. And that for me has always brought this sense of freedom and yeah. this complete and utter, uh, let go kind of moment for me. Mm-hmm. And that that's part of my process that allows me to throw far. I was, it's kind of like this, you know, you got to know what you want. You got to know you want to get after it. But in order to do that, you need to be free enough to do that. And yeah. if you're free enough, your body will know what to do and you'll throw far. Yeah. And ultimately you'll achieve those goals. So, yeah, exactly. you know, like my, um, one of the best 
analogies I've been given from my sports psych and I really really enjoy this one I feel like it holds really true to to most of my competitions is you know you're the trapeze artist standing on the ledge and as that bar swings towards you are you going to reach for it like are you going to go full stretch for that that's that goal swinging towards you and if you balk at it if you only step off the ledge you might fall short but if you jump off that ledge at full stretch yeah. imagine what could come of that and exactly. and you know what even if you fall you've got the support nets under you that's yeah. your that's your friends and family who are going to catch you if you fall and, and so i've always felt that a really safe space yeah. was going to be there um but to give myself the best chance and to feel like i've given myself the best chance at achieving that goal you have to go full stretch yeah, that's super powerful. Wow, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> but speaking <laughs> of, I mean, you certainly went full stretch on that last throw there in Doha. Like you, it was a little up and down competition, but in the end, you were sitting in fourth. It's the last round, mm. and you're the fourth last thrower, obviously, since you're fourth. And you pull out of your sleeve there. The <laughs> what was the second best throw of your life at that point? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that throw. Yeah, this was uh, this was awesome because I guess this this was maybe the first time I had sort of experienced this degree of freedom, especially in that sort of comp environment. I think my PB throw just a couple of months earlier was this um, other sense of freedom from the fact that it was like felt like I had this throw bottled up in me and it just <laughs> needed an outlet. Whereas yeah. this was in championship environment, there was a lot on the line. There was. Yeah. I guess expectation if you, if you want to call it that. Um, but again, I just sort of felt like I'd been chipping away at this competition, chipping, 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 and there was still something more there, but rather than force it or rather than try to tweak it, pull it, control it, make something of it, I decided to lean into it and say, like, let go, I guess. Again, it's, it's the best language I have. Um, or like the way I've described it is kind of like when you're on the runway trying to find your throw and you're kind of like pulling on the strings a little bit and you're just yeah. kind of like, I'm just going to tweak it here. I'm just going to pull it here. I'm just going to hold it here. I'm just going to, I cut all those strings away. And I so distinctly remember walking up to the back of the, the runway and asking the crowd for a clap. I love that. I love the <laughs> injection of energy I get from the crowd because again, oh. I'm like, I'm putting on a show for them. I'm asking them to support me. I'm asking them to watch me deliver something. I guess it's a sense of pressure, but it's like it builds and it builds and it gives you something to like hold on to. And so I let that build inside me. But as I turned around, I had a really, really clear moment just for myself where I closed my eyes and I took a breath and I let all of that noise and chaos kind of settle within me. And... As I let that breath go, I just remember taking off and letting my body just do what it needed to do. Yeah. I was, it was genuinely this complete and utter sense of freedom. So much so that I actually don't have great recall on that throw. Yeah. I remember taking off and I remember it coming out of my hands. But if you ask me to try and detail how that throw felt, it felt free. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's incredible. Well, the best throws are always like that. You don't remember them. Yeah. Yeah. But wow, this it sounded like it, it's it's really appropriate because the name of the podcast is the Athletes Zone Podcast. And it really sounded <laughs> like you were perfectly in the zone there. 
Like, yeah. this is the feeling that we're chasing. And I love that you're saying that you just let go. You just let your body do what it knew how to do. And you weren't, yeah. you know, trying to control. But it takes so much courage in that situation. When you one more throw, you're just outside the medals and you, you want them so bad. And to dare to let go and see what happens. <laughs> so, no, just yeah, seriously. I think I, I do... I absolutely agree. There is a sense of vulnerability that comes yeah. with it that you have to accept Yeah. ultimately. And I think it's really clear as well that going into that, that final round, uh, there was a part of me that recognized that I was outside of the medals and I knew I needed more to, to get into the medals. But I don't actually recall ever being like, Oh, I have to do this or, yeah. Oh gosh, I'm going to miss out on these medals. Like maybe, maybe there was a sense of like acceptance or the sense of peace finishing forth that, you know what? <gasps> I would be okay with this. If it, if this was what it was like, I don't know. Like I, I, you know, I always say like, I, I strive for that top and I definitely know that that was there in the background but I don't think I would have been able to have found that freedom if I'd held onto that yeah. sense of like, I have to achieve this. There was definitely a sense of acceptance yeah. in allowing me to find that next gear and that next, next freedom space. As I said, it goes back to that, like knowing what I want, yeah. but how do I get there? I have yeah. to find some freedom and some clearance and some acceptance and some, some space to allow myself to do this. Yeah. And when I do that, I'll throw far and I'll achieve my goals. <laughs> yeah. And I think so. this, this definitely comes from you working on this for so long and being so aware of the mental side and working on it. You know, you had, it takes trial and error to know yourself this well, but I just, it's amazing that you describe it like this. Cause in the, the interview that I had here a few days ago, I actually told the story of the qualification in London where I had the exact same thing. Like I had one more throw, I had to make the final, I had to pull out like my second or third best throw ever. And I let go of the idea of going to mm -hmm. the final. And I just like, I'm just gonna, I know I can throw better. I know I can throw further than I have, but I let go of the idea of striving to, you know, get this distance to go to a final. And I was okay with not making the final, but I wanted to show what I was capable of. So I just let my body do it. And it was the yeah. same, Axelina, the shot putter I was talking to, she had the exact same, you know, feel when she had a really good throw. So it's, I've heard this now from so many athletes and experienced this myself, like this is how we do it. When we let <laughs> go of the outcome that we want and just yeah. focus on what am I gonna perform now? Like how am I, what am I gonna do on this runway right now? That's when it comes. But yeah. your reaction to that throw <laughs> was absolutely priceless. Like I unfortunately missed out on these championships. I was still competing. I had had a stress fracture in my back the year before, but oh, yeah. so I was sitting at home and watching this and I was crying with you. Like it was, <laughs> it was seeing your reaction. It was such raw emotion. You didn't know what to do with yourself. You just like, no, it was, so, it was like, I, I rewinded it. I rewinded it and watched it again. <laughs> It was honestly, this was just, this was just a pure raw expression of like, what has just happened? Yeah. Oh my God. I can so imagine. much so that I think like, I've had a few people ask me like, why did I like drop to my knees and stop where I stopped? And it was kind of like, cause I started running and then realized there was still a track going. Like I didn't want to run in front of athletes. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> so it was like this this conscious moment to just like pause in case there was something else going on. Yeah, it's like I and then don't kind of like regaining the the awareness that you, that you have. And then it's yeah. also a little bit like, oops, the three girls that were in the medals, they also have to throw. <laughs> Oh, completely. And I mean, no disrespect when I say this, but I had completely forgot that there was still a competition going on in the background, (laughs) trying to contain myself. Um, So yeah, kind of, I think it got to the point where I'd maybe even missed Kristen's throw before I realized that the competition wasn't over. And then I had to stop and watch the next two girls throw to see like where I was actually going to fall in this competition. Oh but I think regardless, like I'd thrown my second best ever throw in a, in a championship meet, yeah. wherever it had fallen, it was going to fall. Yeah. I mean, you could not have been disappointed. Even if all of them would have thrown further, you still would have ended up in fourth. Like, yeah. Like then you go, well done. What a competition. Like, exactly. There is nothing else but to like commend your competitors on exactly. lifting in that yeah. circumstance. Exactly. But wow, we have uh, <laughs> we have talked about this for oh way too long. I wanted to because there's there's just so much to talk about with you. But I mean, you were probably after this really excited about the Tokyo Games after you know this incredible success there. But how did it feel for you when the games got delayed? How, what was your reaction when you saw that? <laughs> so I think this is an interesting point because I, I still haven't, you know, this is, this is not an easy one for me to talk about, but maybe it's good to bring it up that, um, so end of 2019 world championships. Oh my gosh, you've done it. Absolutely invincible. Like genuinely, I was like, bring on the world. I yeah. will take you on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually suffered a really um, bad ankle injury at the tw- at the end of 2019, and that injury has shaped a lot of the last few years of okay. my career and life. And what happened? It was just such interesting timing. I'll come back to that in a second. That that okay. overlapped with COVID in 2020 because, quite honestly, that was a blessing in disguise for me. Mm, there was yeah. no way I would have been ready for the for the Tokyo games if we hadn't actually had that delay. So yeah, um, I was at a training camp and was trialing um, an exercise with uh, an SNC coach that was using it quite fondly. It was um, an eccentric bike, jumped on that, had a go and one of the pedals slipped back and yeah, like came back really hard on my ankle, ended up with like, severe bone bruising and a whole bunch of stuff that came about ended up chipping a bit of bone off like my tibia and a whole mess of stuff and so (laughs) I honestly I haven't spoken about this much in 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 the years that have passed because uh I've had some really haunting days from that experience and some really tough times and it's taken a lot to get to a point where I'm actually comfortable talking about it. Oh, wow. I didn't, I yeah. no idea, obviously, I, since I, you haven't talked about it, but that's, how long did the, did it take? I mean, was it? Yeah. So it's actually, it's never fully recovered. It's never fully okay. healed. Um, I've had two surgeries um, in the years since then, one in July, 2020. And that's why I say there was no way I would have been ready oh, for the games. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I had a second surgery in October of 2022. Okay. So yeah. Um, and- or most of it was just, 
as a result of uh, like the inflammation had to like, as I say, like bone spurs, uh, like tissue swelling, all sorts of manner of stuff from having used this ankle that wasn't necessarily in a very happy place and kind of like pushing it to, to its maximum. So was that removed Uh, then these bone spurs and that scar tissue and stuff? Okay. Yeah. And how, how is it today? Like, what do the doctors say? Like, is this, can this fully heal or is it? Uh, no, I'm probably, I'm probably with an ankle that will forever have a restricted range of motion. Um, I think it got to a point where it's like, if I could just get a little bit of quality of life back, I'll be grateful for whatever I can do when it comes to throwing the javelin. But I think one of the biggest challenges with that injury has been the effect it had on my technical model. And that has been a long-standing battle for the last few years. And that's why I say when I talk about 2019 season and how in tune I was with my throw and how connected I was with it, um, I haven't felt that since. And Um. I have sort of been this constant like work, work in progress and um, trying to work with my body and find ways to, to throw the javelin far when, yeah, my technical model is so different from what I was used to and Mm. different in the sense as well that the way I moved on the runway and the way I generated my like rhythm and timing was not something I ever really had to overthink. It was something that came very naturally to me. It was something that, yes, we tweaked here and there, but having to then completely revert to putting all your energy and focus into something that came so naturally that has been a work in progress oh i can imagine <laughs> and it's humbled me on more than one occasion <laughs> oh yeah Oof. but then obviously you were very relieved when the when the games were postponed and and all of that but that explains why you didn't compete there and and possibly also why you had a little struggle there in the 21 season leading up to the games was it Most just definitely that was <laughs> <Yes>. just oh, <laughs> so wow. yeah quite honestly like oh was an absolute struggle straight (laughs) in that season and yeah I guess you know still still was able to rely a little bit on my my competition space like I still felt like I was very good at pulling the tools that I had access to on the day to to find something to make something work and yeah the throw was still uh yeah it was still hard work I guess is the best way to sort of describe it. There was, there were that season particularly was just a bit of a grind and a grit and work through it. And it was the same with the Tokyo competition. There, there was just such grit and determination to achieve a result at those games that I dug deep and found something within me to, make it happen yeah it's so completely different to other like when i talk about my 2019 season um i had to find a different way to win yeah and i think again it just shows that there are multiple avenues to achieve that i you know i threw i threw hard and i threw gritty and i threw angry and i threw with all these emotions that i had never really like delved into before but centered around that ultimately was this this goal of a podium finish at Tokyo and I knew I was still capable of it 
Yeah. I think that's really what drove me, um, especially but- after finding myself in a round three <laughs> qualifying situation, <laughs> currently sitting in 28th position. Like you have to make there it was just something in me <laughs> that was like, you are not going down without a fight. Yeah. And you like find a way. Yeah. Oh, wow. You certainly did. And I mean, I have to say that knowing all of this now, it makes that bronze medal you took there even, even more impressive. But how did you feel then? I mean, obviously you, Maria took the silver like two centimeters ahead of you or something like, yeah, (laughs) like, did you, were you bothered by that? Or like, were you disappointed by missing out on the silver? Or were you just ecstatic with your bronze? Like just, I took an Olympic medal. Yeah. Honestly, I think this is, again, just the space you find yourself yourself in sometimes as an athlete is it's like, I was so close. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm walking away with a bronze medal. Yeah. Like, quite honestly, my emotions would swing from one end of the spectrum to the other in days, in minutes, within hours, um, weeks uh, after the competition. Like there's just so much emotion and preparation and execution that goes into those championships that, yeah, yeah some days I was walking around feeling like how and wow. <laughs> and then other days I'd burst into tears because I was like, I was so close. <laughs> and it was, it was just there, like just a little bit oh. more like, Yeah. (laughs) And again, knowing that those opportunities only come around like so rarely in our Mm. careers, it just was like, oh, no, did I miss an opportunity to have like to get that gold medal? But uh, I, you know, I say that now and it's it's part of the journey of the ups and downs. But I am thrilled with my result in that games. And I look back at all that I went through to achieve that. And I'm honestly probably sit now and think like how did I do that? Like, I'm quite shocked. But again, I think that for me, that really, that was an internal, internal strength moment that I reflect on and say, like, I'm really, really proud of what I was able to do. Yeah. I mean, oh my, you can definitely be that. But I mean, how did your debrief then look like going into, like after that season, like going into 2022? Yeah. So the main thing that came out of that one was just sort of acknowledging that it was like, I don't want to do that again. I can do it. I I clearly showed that I can compete that way and I can, can find it when I need it, but that was not necessarily an enjoyable space for me. So it was like, we need to find the enjoyment in throwing again. And we need to find a way to throw that allows me to sort of be a little bit more connected with the throw. It's like, Mm. Cool, we might not find 2019's version of throwing, but 2021's version isn't working for me either. So I need to go and create something new. I need mm. to find a way to work with my body yeah. that's still going to allow me to throw far, but isn't going to put me in this constant state of like stress, yeah, <laughs> essentially. Exactly, yeah. And so a lot of 2022 is about this, yeah, creating a new throw. I think that's the best way to describe it. Like I I gave myself a little bit of freedom and creativity to go and explore what I was capable of with a new body, essentially. Like I had to come to terms with my limitations and be like, okay, we can't do that. We'll find another way to do it. But rather than feeling like held back by that, I guess it was a little bit more open-minded in, in that development of that throw. So that was a lot of what set up 2022. I think there was, also the sense of challenge that came with 22 being like, cool, I am still 
defending world champion. Like, yeah. can you do it? Can you do what no one else has done before? There was this real sense of drive that came yeah. with that. And I think initially it felt a little bit daunting being like, whoa, this feels like a mammoth task. If yeah. like no one's done it before, like, how are we going to do this? But felt really encouraged by the fact that I could do something that no one else had done before. Yeah. And was also just in this space of like, <laughs> quite honestly, it was like, who else is going to do it? Who's going to stand up and put their hand up and say like, I'm here to win it. And yeah. I was just kind of like, it's me. It's going to be me. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> I love that. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I love yeah. it. Wow. But I mean, how did you then, how was your season? And like, how did you feel going into the worlds? Like the, the lead up to it then? Oh, frustrated. I think that's the best way to describe that season. <laughs> was because honestly it was because I felt like just I had this untapped energy that was just not connecting onto the throw so it was like these repeat competitions where I'd walk away with this like 60 61 meter throw and it was kind of like oh there's so much power there but I just can't quite connect it and I just can't quite put it down the line but I know I'm strong enough and I know I'm good enough I was just a matter of like finding the line Mm -hmm. and quite honestly that is 100% what I took into that championships it was like I am enough to win this and I'm good enough to win this and again found myself very similar to 2019 space where it was like right if there's any day to do this today's the day you need to let go of everything that's led up to this point and trust your body that you can put your job like put the energy through the javelin mm. and it just felt so energized by the crowd like having a crowd back in the stadium and yeah. them knowing the event and knowing the sport and getting behind it and oh it was just yeah it was just so much energy to be back there doing what I loved and you know I had found this like better space or better like relationship with my body at that point and it was kind of like right let's do this yeah yeah Oh, it's so cool. But did you feel any pressure of this? Like, you know, I can do what nobody else has done before. Like, I can be the only woman ever to defend her world title in Javelin. Did you? I think. Did you just like, um, yes, I'm going to do it? Or like, oof, what if I, I don't? I think I had to learn to embrace it. Okay. Because that was the storyline. That was the narrative I was going in with. There was no, there was no running away from it. Mm-hmm. So rather than feeling like it was pressure per se I mean it was definitely there I'm not going to deny that there wasn't pressure there but I think it was learning to confront it and learning to embrace it and learning to work with it yeah that allowed me to go in and I guess yeah become that Mm storyline is the best way to sort of describe it it was like cool everyone's talking about this this is what everyone wants to run with I'm not shying away from it so Mm. let's go and do it like There was, there was power in embracing that and there was power in standing with that storyline. Yeah. But I mean, then obviously you, you didn't have quite as exciting qualification as you have had before. <laughs> but how did you feel like then going into the final? Like the, was, wasn't it two, like a one whole day in between? Uh, yeah, we had a whole day in between. Yeah. So again, a little bit more time. Yeah. Um, like I guess, yeah, a much easier qualifying 
um, <laughs> period. <laughs> that one, second pool, lovely, know where we stand. Um, don't get me wrong, there were still doubts going into that final. Like I still remember sitting um, at coffee with Mike the day before being like, I haven't thrown the distance. Like, let's yeah. not beat around the bush here. Like, I have been a consistent 61-meter thrower up yeah. until the point of qualifying, I think, where it was, like, 61.50. Like, cool, Mike. Like, we need to acknowledge that I still haven't thrown the distance this season that suggests a medal. And then it was, like, this turnaround. And he's like, but do you believe you can do it? And I was like, I know it's there. Like, I know it's there. <laughs> and I was like, well... Take that, take that into the competition. Like, exactly. yes, we'll, we'll tweak this a little bit and we know we need to do this a little bit, but it's like, do you believe you can do it? Yeah, I do. And it was as simple as that. It was taking that self-belief into that competition more than, more than anything else from the season that led up into that point. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, you started off strong. Like you said, you always aim for, like you went straight into second and then it was on your third attempt, right? But I mean, yeah. you pull out a massive throw. That is, that's, <laughs> that's your second best now, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you pull out almost a 67 meter throw. And what was going through your mind before you took that throw? Like, did you know it was going to oh. be a good one? Did you feel good? What was that throw like? Oh, I felt so good in that competition. <laughs> awesome. I'm just going back to it now and I'm just kind of like getting me all like revved up to throw. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you sort of say, like I was I was on from the start of that competition. I was, oh, was so focused and I knew exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to go about it. And again, just like, was leaning into the things that were speaking to me on the day and the things that were feeling good. And was kind of like, right, we're going to run with this. And we're going to just, it was about this for me, it was as much about the presence that I held within that competition as it was about the throws itself. So it wasn't just about like throw, where did it land? It was like throw, walk off. Like you own this competition. Like Mm. you're the one to beat around here. Like, you don't shy away from anyone that's thrown further than you. You step up to the plate and you go again. You challenge them. They're yeah. going to come after you. Um, I Honestly, you know, some people say, like, you you don't have that change. I wore my crown in that competition. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I wore my 2019 <laughs> crown in there. And I was like, if you want it, you're going to have to come and take it from me. <laughs> so, I love that. It was just. It was exuding confidence and it was kind of like, I don't know. Honestly, I've never spoken to the girls around me how that was sort of portrayed or how they sort of felt, but I wouldn't have wanted to go near me. (laughs) Um, And I just felt like I I took that into my throat. I was, I was big and I was bold and I was strong and I was confident and all of that just channeled into my throat. And going into that third round, I was sort of like, why wait till round six? Like, just go and do it now. <laughs> it was the same. It was the same energy. It was the same. Like, what are you holding on to yeah. to wait till the sixth round opportunity? It's a third round opportunity. Go and do it now. Like, exactly. Go and be free. Mm. <laughs> and again, it's. I just remember like rolling into that one, just feeling like this, like really big presence on the runway. And I knew that that was how I needed to connect my throat. I needed to just stand tall and deliver. 
And that for me was the throw that it's still the best throw from recollection where I just felt the line of my block come back into my throw and into my hand and the strength that it held. Yeah. Uh, I haven't felt that before in a, in a throw so specifically, at least anyway. So it just, it all came together. But where did that confidence come from? Because you talked about struggling the whole season and you weren't quite connecting and you hadn't thrown more than, you were consistently throwing 60, 61. And then all of a sudden, just it's like you just (laughs) found another gear (laughs) in that final. But where did (laughs) that come from? And again, it doesn't happen very often. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it happens when it needs to. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it, it was, it was that like fueled by self-confidence. I think it was just because it was, it was there all season. Like it, it didn't just appear for me, but it was kind of like this. I didn't quite connect to today, but I know it's there. Oh, yeah, yeah, it didn't okay. quite work today, but I know it's there. Like this continual, like confirmation within myself that it was, it was there. And it, like, yeah. it just needed its moment to shine. And I just needed it to give it its opportunity to shine. Because when I turned around from that throw, it was almost just this like moment of like, there it was. Like, <laughs> I love that. I told you. I told you it was there. Like, <laughs> Oh, I love that uh, there was so a lot. much. Yeah. And there was, a, there was a lot in my training that I could lean into to say okay. like the, the powers there. The, the speeds there like there was still elements of my training that okay. were that were showing yeah. the throw was there so yeah. I'm not going in with blind hope there were You're other not just elements like, that were suggesting I know it <laughs> yeah no don't get me wrong there were still elements of of training that needed to support that yeah of um, course it was just a matter of finding the timing on the javelin but it is still so easy and I know a lot of people get so frustrated and so tired when they know it's there and they see it in the training, but it just doesn't come out and they, <laughs> they lose the faith in it. But I just love that you kept the faith throughout everything and you got it out when it mattered the most. Like it's just, but what does this title then? I, I mean, now I know I was going to ask you about why you skipped the last two rounds, but you kind of told us that already. It was because you had that big throw and you're like... I don't want to risk anything like my body hasn't done this for a really long time, yeah. <laughs> but it was, but what, what does it like when you walked away from there and you're like, I am the only woman in history to defend a world title in javelin. Like, what does that mean to you now? Oof. I still honestly don't know that I have processed that fully yeah. and the reason I say that is because there's there's always something else to go mm. after. Yeah. And I think until I have finished my career and really take the time to reflect on the journey as a whole, um, I will really give myself a chance to sit with that and, and let it sink in. But I mean, going into it, as I said, at, at first it felt really daunting and then it became this sense of motivation and to then actually succeed in that to yeah. for it to come to fruition like it felt surreal at the time like it it really as i said it, it hasn't probably still hasn't settled in properly yeah um what i achieved but i think it was more just the process between the first and the second yeah. that i will really enjoy looking back over yeah. because so much happened during that period yeah I mean, and you to still struggles 
you know. And and again, even just the the competitions themselves, how they unraveled, or yeah. the mental prep behind both of them was so different. The the throw themselves was so different. There's, I think it's for me, it's just more the reminder that there are so many paths that can lead you to your goal. Yeah. Um, and that has been a really important sort of message for myself when you feel like things are a little bit sticky or, you know, the path feels a little bit, a little dark or a little rough. It was kind of like, yeah, like there are multiple ways or multiple avenues t- to reach that goal. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because you talked about it before when you were talking about your debriefings, that it was so important to you to become consistent, to consistently put out these distances so that you knew that you'd be able to do it because you don't want to depend on pulling out what you did in, in Oregon. But you don't <laughs> yeah, wanna, exactly. You don't want to depend on that because you can't do it every time. But for you to see, okay, I had the consistency and I, I did it. But then I also had like a, a very difficult preparation, but I could still do it. It's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just throw at me whatever you will. I can still do it. I, I love yeah. it. I, I heard this, uh, this story one, once. I think it was Michael Jordan. I think it was like he, he took a game winning shot in a game and he had had like a horrible game. He was missing a lot, but then it's... At the last second, instead of passing the ball, he decides to take the, the shot himself. And he was asked afterwards, it's like, why did you decide to take that shot? I mean, you have been missing so much. Weren't you afraid you were going to miss? And he said, no, I knew I was going to score because I have been missing so much. It had to be time to score. And they were like, okay, so are you saying that if you had been on fire the whole game and you've been scoring, 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 then you would have passed the ball and you would not have taken the shot? It's like, are you crazy? If I was on fire <laughs> and I'm constantly scoring, of course I was going to take the shot, you know, because I, I knew it was going to go in. And they're like, but that doesn't make any sense. Like, you can't have it both ways. It's like, yes, of course I can. Yes, you can. <laughs> That's the thing. You yeah. make up your confidence, whatever you need to be confident right now. If you need to say, okay, I've been in a rut, it's been difficult, it must be time now. I, I, it must be time that I'm coming out on the other end. Or yeah. I'm on a high, I'm going to ride the wave. Like nobody can <laughs> tell you what the preparation needs to look like to get there. So yeah, I love exactly. that you experienced both kind of. But how did you feel then going into 2023 with Budapest coming up? And now it's like, okay, you can not only be the only woman to win the title three times but to do it three times in a row and defend it twice like how yeah. did that feel and the preparation yeah so i guess but again i guess this is one of those examples of like uh didn't have success last year you know yeah. out of all my storylines and all my avenues and to that point like i didn't want to come into that 23 season having to rely on like just do a repeat of 22 it's yeah. kind of like, no, 22 was its own year and it had its own circumstances and its own lead up. I can't just ugh, magically pull that one and put it here and voila, like it yeah. doesn't work that way. But again, like from the moment I won in Oregon, that storyline was written for me. Yeah. That, that was the narrative going into 23. That was the only thing that was written for me. Of course. <laughs> It's, it's fine. I, I acknowledged that from the start. And as I said, I can either let this be a burden or I can embrace this and yeah. enjoy that journey and enjoy, you know, honestly, I think the thing that was most, uh, that I embraced the most about the fact was like, 
goodness, how many athletes can say that they're even given the opportunity to have this be presented to them? Yeah, to have like a it. I have won it twice. I've yeah. put myself in this position by the success that I've had to even be speaking about this or to be even be like on, you know, on note of like the potential of a third world championship title in a row. Like, yeah. gosh, you know what? I'm going to give myself a moment's grace to say like, you've done that. You've put yourself in that position. Yeah. And I guess that was the reminder for me last year was that regardless of success or fail at that 23, I had, I had already achieved so much Yeah. in this sport to, to get to that point. And yeah. it was still disappointing. It was still a really hard championship. And I, I still look back at it and say like, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't get the three peat, but mm. did I do everything in my power to try and make that happen and to make that work? Yes. I honestly walk away from that championship and I walk away from that championship final with probably the most consistent mental preparation and competition execution that I've ever had. Mm. I just physically didn't have the same tools that I'd had in previous years to find that throw. Yeah. I mean, and that is have- an acknowledgement yeah. Of the season that we had. But didn't you have a, another surgery on your foot there in the October in the build-up for the season also? I did. Yeah. I did. But I wasn't going to let that stop me. And I probably, <laughs> at some point, didn't acknowledge how much that was going to influence my season. Yeah. Like, you know, there's. I think a lot of athletes have come across injuries and have to overcome those adversities. But, you know, we learned a lot from the first one, which we implemented the second time round, which we came out of the back of a lot, a lot cleaner and a lot clearer. But mm-hmm. it's just the, it's the total stress and honestly the stress of throwing the javelin, like the specific yeah. positions that we put our body in, that probably were just took a lot longer to connect with than I maybe anticipated. And again, it was like this rediscovery of positions I hadn't had access to for a while. The the change in rhythm, the change in feel, the change in position, and yeah, there were just some physical capacities that weren't up to scratch to throw far that I didn't have access to. Okay. But which foot was it? Was it your left or your right? That's my right foot. It's your right foot. Oh, okay. That you put the pressure on. Yeah. Pushing into. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. But, yeah. I mean, the, uh, the thing with an injury like this is you may be, as you're going through it and as you're going through the preparation, right? You're like, you're trying to manage this. You're trying to improve. You don't want to be thinking about this, but I had the surgery. That's going to hold me back. So you don't, you, you do a little Jordan there and it's like, I can make this work despite the surgery. But then at the end of the season, when you maybe do a debriefing and you're looking at what went wrong or like, why didn't I perform? Then you of course have to acknowledge that this surgery like probably had an effect. Yeah, I think there's, I agree. I think there's a part of that process that it's like, am I using this as an excuse Mm. or am I reflecting with enough openness to acknowledge that there were things that we weren't quite able to accomplish because of it? And I think that that's a really key part for me was I never wanted any of my injuries to be an excuse for for any part of my preparation or my performance, Mm. you know, like we always talk about, like, do you have your excuse in your back pocket ready to play when someone asks you how your, how your competition was? Well, no, my back pockets are empty. (laughs) I'm never pulling out an excuse to Mm. say like, 
this was this was the cards were dealt for this season and did I make the most of those and did I work with what I was given and to the best of my ability make yeah. something of that yes that's all I can ask of myself yeah. and that's what I reflect on that season like mm. yeah we were challenged with some unique elements and ultimately it came down to the fact that I just didn't do enough throwing that season I had too many interrupted sessions yeah. leading up to that competition and had to try and ramp it up too quickly in the end um but not once did i say oh this has happened you know i'm using my ankle as an excuse for the reason that it wasn't there it was like no we still prepared really well and we prepared as best as best we could given the circumstances that's also a thing like we talked about before like you took the leap and you stretched out as far as you could and you did grab the bar the, the two times before. This time you fell down and your safety net caught you and it was okay. But you know you did everything you could. And that's the important thing. And that's like, I I saw this definition of success uh, somewhere. It was something like success is, is the satisfaction of knowing that you did everything in your power to be as good as you could be. That is success. It's not necessarily the records or the medals. It's just, I know that I gave my everything to become as good as I could possibly be. So like in, in this in this instance, and I don't know, you probably, you definitely looked at this in, in your debriefing, but I mean, even looking at this competition, like you, again, you pull out there, you go to the final on your third throw in the qualification, you pull out on the <laughs> last one, you do like as well as you possibly can. You like, you make, top eight again on your third attempt in the final it's like it's always when there is the most pressure true to form you (laughs) perform (laughs) and you like you go in 12th like you into the final you do you always manage to do what you kind of need to but you do it when it matters the most so even that there's always positive takeaways yeah and I think definitely from from last year as you say like Yep, scraped into the final in 12th with a very stressful qualifying period again. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I I still, I brought my strengths to the table. And that is, for me, competition performance. That is rallying my strengths on the day. That is finding absolutely everything I have access to and putting it on display. And that, that ceiling or that total end spectrum for that competition was a seventh place finish that year. Yeah. I, yeah. And as I say, like, I, I'm, don't get me wrong. I still walked away from that competition feeling absolutely miserable and really like, like disappointed that I wasn't able to, to get that third title, but very quickly was able to say like, but I gave it everything. Like yeah. there was not anything else that I could have done or yeah. felt like my preparation slipped or I faltered in any way yeah. that it was like, Oops, we really made a mistake with that. Yeah. It was kind of like, ugh, I, I, I can't fault it to some degree. So I have to be content that that's where I sit. This yeah, day. absolutely. And I just, in in this situation, wanna wanna mention, because I think it's, it's so interesting that, uh, you know, you, I saw a, a post on Instagram from Mike, your husband. It was a while mm-hmm. back. I can't remember after which season, it was, but it was, I think, after maybe 2017. Uh, oh, a while it, back. 
yeah. it was a while back like it was early yeah. on but it was after you had a good season and and he was sharing goals that you guys had set down or like put down uh before the season and he talked about yeah. mindset goals and and that you wanted to go into the absolute elite and you you wanted to become a force to be reckoned with you wanted people to never be able to count you out like people yeah. would as soon as you were in the field it wasn't done until it was done <laughs> and you wanted to be known as the one that can bring it when it matters and you certainly have achieved that goal <laughs> and to the extent that even with the season that you had last year and how this these championships unraveled I sat there like when it was time for the sixth <laughs> round. I'm like, is he gonna do it? Is he gonna do it? Because I still believed it. I still yeah. believed that I could see a 67 meter throw. <laughs> I still believed it too. Exactly. <laughs> and that just shows how how incredible work, like on the mental side, you guys have been doing. And I want to talk about that. Like I've taken a lot of your time already, but I have to talk about the mental yeah. training. Like you've talked about so much. So. I just want to know, I know you've thought a lot about the mental part. I know you've done mental training and you said you worked with a sports psychologist, but do you do anything on a, like a regular basis, like on a day to day basis? Like, do you do any mental training? Uh, I guess it varies a little bit during the season, but yeah, I think I'll need to start by saying like, I have worked with um, a sports psychologist for, we're coming into our 11th season working together. Oh, so. Wow. She's been a part of my team from the very beginning and we've built an awesome relationship and yeah, like we still have regular check-ins, whether it's um, weekly or fortnightly. Yeah. yeah, So that is a very, like, that is a consistent in my life (laughs) and a consistent part of my preparation. Okay. Outside of that, as I said, varies a little bit. Um, I definitely do the mental prep work from a visualization perspective. Mm. Um, I do lean into a little bit of like meditation and breathing at different points in time. Um, I do journal and yeah, I think trying to think of anything else that's sort of like come in and out of the program. Do you use, do you use self-talk in any way, like any organized way where you maybe decide beforehand, like, what am I going to say to myself if I find myself in this situation or to remind myself of my focus or something like that? Um, probably not organized self-talk. There is definitely self-talk that comes out in competitions. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. Um, yeah, hundred percent. But that was probably not, um, not planned. I think okay. that's really organic and that is a result of all the other work we put yeah. in place. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing I do probably keep on on hand as a prompt is I often do write out like cards for myself just because in the chaos of competition, it can be really easy to slip into um, or slip down rabbit holes where you get a little bit caught up in something. Those were for me were like contact points to ground me and mm. bring me back to the present. Okay. And they have changed a little bit over the years, but some of them are just like simple mantras. Some of them are like writing down like what my strengths are that I carry mm. into a competition. Some of them are just writing down um, like really simple connections that I have with the javelin or cues that are really uh. speaking to me. Um, some of them have been like little anecdotes from, from coaches and, uh, some of them have just been some of my own words that I have found that really resonate at that point in time or really bring the best out of myself. So, 
So you write I'll write this- those down and I'll have them in my bag and I yeah. often don't reach for them, but I think it's even just knowing that they're there and knowing that that's the reminder or having read them and then put them in my bag is a really easy way to bring me back to, to the present and to feel really grounded and feel really, really strong and really led by those words. You know what? You're using self-talk essentially, because this is what I mean. Like you have decided what you want to be thinking about, but for you, you just write it down in your bag and that makes you think of it. So that makes you say that to yourself. So this is, yeah, this is super cool. And also if you need it, because sometimes, sometimes some negative thoughts take over or something like that. If you're going in the wrong direction, you just reach for the note in your back. Like mm. that reminds yeah. you of this and that makes you think of that. That's, that's awesome. Again, people take notes, take notes. <laughs> but well, I mean, it's so easy to get swept up in, in things in competition. And as you say, like once you sort of start down that path of a little bit of self-doubt or a little bit of negative yeah. talk, like it can so easily spiral yeah. and you can so easily get swept up by that or get swept up by the outcomes or the noise in a comp or yeah. there's so many things that can, can pull you away from it. So yeah, if it's, as I said, for me, it's a card. But I just find something to like legitimately hold on to or, you know mm. what, as simple as it is for me, sometimes I've even just like put my hands on the track yeah, and I connect with the track. I connect with the ground. Mm. It's me connecting with the javelin. When I hold the javelin, I'm taking a moment to stop and pause and connect with the thing that I'm about to do. Yeah, um, I find those really powerful because as I said, they really center me. They really ground me and they really clear they give me really clear vision and purpose. It's like a little mindfulness, like just right there. Yeah, in the it moment. is. Yeah, it's super powerful. Yeah. I, and I, again, every athlete that I <laughs> talk to, they, they comes back to this over and over again. But I love, you said you worked with a sports psychologist for 11 years. I, yeah. I love that you started this early because this is a mistake that I made. I didn't start until like 2015 <laughs> or something. And yeah. so I only did this for the last five years. So when was it that you started working with? Uh, sports psychology uh so this was so before 13. commonwealth games 2014 so it's so right before right at the very beginning so, wow yeah. that is i was probably introduced to uh, the world of sports psychology through my university degree and it definitely sparked an interest very early on i kind of found this space within sport that not a lot of people had been talking about um in in my environment but uh, through a project or something that I was doing through uni came across a few um, articles of athletes that were talking about sports psychology and how they used it. And I was kind of like, wow, what is this? Like, this yeah. sounds incredible. Like you can train something away from the physical that can help you perform. I was like, I'm into that. Yeah. Give it, it give it. <laughs> wow. You know, oh my God, I love this so much that you found it like this because I was more like, I was struggling, struggling, struggling. And it's like, this is just the way I am. I can't do anything about it. And then I got painted into a corner where I kind of had to do something. And that's when I started. And when you're at that point, it's a much more difficult place to start. It's yeah, like, I agree. It's, it's like starting to take care of your health when you're already sick. It's much better to do yeah. it while you're healthy so you don't get sick in the first place. Yeah. So... Oh, wow. That is, again, people take notes. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I just, I had to have to say, like, I was very fortunate that I was in an environment that offered sports psychology as well. Yeah. So um, that was a huge helping hand early on mm. in my career. Yeah. So you, ha you worked with the same sports psychologist the whole time? Yeah. 
that really yeah, helps also from the very beginning <laughs> good connection for sure we have an awesome relationship yeah oh, and wow. i think you know to the point where i say that we will be friends long past javelin oh you definitely will you've shared so much i mean yeah. i am still friends with my sports psychologist we worked together yeah. for what those five years or something so yeah. But I got another listener question. You kind of a- answered this one. It's very, like, it's not really specific. Like, what's a good mindset look like to you? Or, like, what does a mind- good mindset lo- that you follow look like? But, I mean, you've talked yeah, so I much mean, about your mindset. It's like... I think if I had to simplify it for, for the answer yeah. is the, you know, my best performances come when I am free on the yeah. runway. And that sense of freedom can possibly look a little bit different for everyone or how they set that up or how they envision what that looks like. Mm. But for me, it's, it's cutting away those strings and allowing myself to express my javelin freely. Okay. Yeah. That is a very good (laughs) summary of (laughs) all we've talked about No, but you and you and Mike, you obviously like you think a lot about these things and you, you, don't just make like performance goals. You you make mindset goals and and all of this. But when he wrote down this, you wanted to become a force to be reckoned with. Like you <laughs> you said this. Like I want like nobody counts me out if I'm in the competition until it's over. How did you work on that specifically? Like if you would look at like in practice, what? It's easy to set yeah. a goal like this, but like, what are the steps? How that do we you execute? Take? Yeah, how do you execute on that goal to make it a reality? Because you obviously did. Yeah, um, I think I'm trying to. I ask difficult questions. I think it, I know. it came down to it. Yeah, no, that's all right. I think it comes down to a few different avenues, and I actually think one of the best things that we started doing within training was we. Because of because of injuries, this is how it started. Was mm. I only had a certain number of throws um, I was limited to within a training session, mm. and that was how this. I feel like this is part of the evolution of how do you perform when it counts and make your last throw count. Well, I was given six throws in a, in a training session. Mm. You have to learn to make those six throws count. Yeah, that <laughs> and is it wasn't six throws plus one or two. It mm. was like you get three five steps and you get three seven steps. Yeah. That's it. Like that is such a small amount of throwing. Yeah. That if you don't find a way to connect and commit and uh figure out all what you need to draw access to for those throws, mm. well, it's really easy to go through a session just throwing and throwing and throwing and throwing yeah. and figuring it out, figuring it out and figuring it out. Well, doesn't that then bleed into how you execute in a competition where you want 10 warm-up throws to feel ready it's like are you ever truly gonna feel ready like Mm. you could keep throwing and i'm sure you'll kind of be like that's almost there almost found it i'll just just one more just one more like Mm. i almost put this urgency upon myself to be like you find it in this throw and you did do this like have a limited number of throws always in every session or did you do it uh, at specific times? uh this was pretty consistent for a number of years of my throwing and as i said i think looking back at it like it, it came about because we were trying to um we were monitoring load with the throws yeah so we were pretty ah. strict on the number of throws and don't get me wrong it wasn't always six throws within a session like no, um no. but i do i do have a really small range like i'll throw between 12 and 15 like 
throws mm. in, in a session. And I have mm. to make those throws count. But where I think it's really helpful is that it, it bleeds into that preparation and readiness for competition because I know what yeah. it feels like to, to say like, right, you've got two throws left in this set. Like we've got particular parts we're trying to execute. Can you, can you find it? Can you make the change? Can you execute that yeah. with, with such a limited number of throws? I think that was a big part of it. And the other big part of it was being really, really clear on my process within competition. Yeah. Um, and I have spoken a little bit about that earlier on in this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But it's bringing those, bringing those elements into training as well as bringing those, um, uh, that specific process and having access to it and practicing it yeah. within, within throw sessions. Yeah. But I also started practicing it within gym sessions. Like yeah. why not use that as an opportunity to be like, okay, You've got this lift that means a little bit. Can you find that centered, grounded, peaceful state to just go and do the thing? Wow. Why does it have to be limited to a throw? Why can't you take that mindset into a squat set where you drown out the rest of the throw, bring it back to yourself and go like, I just need to move this bar as fast as I can. Go and do it. Yeah. Like my mind is literally blowing all over the place here. Cause I got to tell you, my, my former coach is going to laugh at this. I had the nickname Austis one more Hjalmsdottir. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that tells you everything <laughs> I need to say. Cause I, I'm sure you're not the only one. I always wanted to do more. It was with everything. It was also just this, like, of course you need to do more to be better. No, but. I started doing this, like I had what I called competition-like throwing sessions, and that was usually like more closer to like the big competitions. But of course you should do this always because you get better at what you practice. And if the more, if your training is completely different from your competitions, you are not practicing competing and you compete much less than you train. So you need to find that, uh, well, this awesome (laughs) but (laughs) I think there's also that level of um like learning to to either draw what you need from those throws and and apply it in the next throw but also then being able to put that throw down and say like rather than holding on to it and trying to like bring it into the next throw which can you know that's the same essentially the same thing in a competition like cool you've had that throw it's done you're going to look forward to the future to the next throw yeah exactly. practice that same element in training as well take yeah. what you need from that throw but don't bring it with you into yeah. the next one exactly again people take notes <laughs> but <laughs> how do you and mike communicate about the mental part like in like is it do you have it like specifically on a day-to-day basis? I mean, I know you have it as a part of the program and the preparation for competitions and so on. And clearly your debriefing is very thorough. And But what about on a day-to-day basis? Like, do you also yeah. just... This is also a part of our system. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably say there's definitely a part of it that's um, kept for the sports psych and myself that is yeah. probably maybe more comp specific, but over the years has bled into like a little bit more life stuff as well. But in terms of like, how do Mike and I prep for the mental side of training each and every day is what works for us is this idea of, um, you know, this, this planning, planning the session, take five minutes at the start of the day to decide like where we want to go, what we're trying to achieve, what's our like stretch goal for the day versus what are we happy to walk away with feeling like we've accomplished setting small goals along the way, small wins. Yeah. You know, I had to, I had to find some small wins um, yeah. throughout my career when, when things weren't going as well. Yeah. Um, did I get a little bit better today? And 
again, I guess taking a moment to get on the same foot, be aligned with the session, be aligned with the execution, be aligned with the language that we're using within it. That's where we have success. And then at the end of that session, we also debrief that. It only takes two or three minutes, but it's kind of, again, are we aligning with what we set out to do today and did we execute that? How did we go about it? Did Mm. were there things that you did well that I did well that or things that didn't go well that we'd like to improve next time? And essentially walking away with like one or two tidbits that are like, cool, now that's the base for our next session. Yeah. Wow. And and feeling like you you do this, you you close the loop. You start with the session and then you you close the session and then you're not going home taking all this mess with you trying to sift through it on your own (laughs) no exactly it's amazing and funny that you you mentioned this the this reflecting and and all of this on the session by the way for anybody listening i have uh, a document called i call it the reflection routine you can download it for free the link is in the show notes that takes you through in a very simple way very similar process to what you're talking about it's just how you can reflect on your training session to be clear on like just what went well, take away the positives. What could I do better? What am I going to do better next time? It's very simple, very easy. Just go ahead and download it if you want to start this work that <laughs> Kelsey's talking about yeah. here. Like, seriously, this this changes everything. Yeah. I, I love You know what? I go as far as to say, like, there are even parts within a session. Um, you know, if I think Mike's coached me really well, I'll stop and acknowledge that. Yeah. And I'll say, like, this part of this session that was really key in allowing me to then set this up for the next throw or Mm. you gave really clear feedback there that that language resonated. Like I'll take the time to, to reflect on, on this coaching as well. Like, yeah, it it works both ways. And I think by acknowledging that, um, that builds a greater, greater relationship as well. Yeah. And I mean, he knows what works for you. He's like, okay, this worked. I'm going to do that next time. And the same, like you, your communication only gets better and he coaches you in a better way. It's just, it's a win, win, win for everybody. (laughs) So thinking of everything that you talked about here, what would you say to athletes that are like, ah, I don't know with this whole mental training thing. (laughs) Is it really worth my time? Like, should I spend time? I think you know where I land on this. <laughs> yeah, I know where you live. But what do you, what would you say to I, that? Yeah, so I've always been an advocate for, for, for sports psychology or for mental preparation. So I'd say seek that side of it in what path or what avenue or how best it suits you. I think is very individualized. But I think... Yeah, again, I, I, re- I recognize that you do need to buy into it and there's an element of, of believing that it makes a difference. But if there's anything that I have shared with you today that shows how powerful <laughs> that that and how yeah much that can influence what you do and how you go to go about it, I am a huge advocate. Yeah, it works. Try it. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. So, But I think it comes with consistency as well. Like I don't think you can't just oh two sessions and it didn't work like there is an element of consistency here it's the same as any other training that we do like you're not going to see results from two or three sessions if this is something that you believe can contribute like you need to stick with it and there are elements that will be hard and there'll be elements that'll challenge you and there'll be elements that it's like that are really vulnerable with sports Mm. psychology but i think if you can build a really good relationship with with someone you'll it goes beyond the sport 
for me. Like mm. there is so much about the sports psychology side of it that has led to um, growth and personal development for me that I take well beyond the sport, which I think is, is such a wonderful thing too. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not just for your sport. It's for your entire life and you use it everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I am using this in motherhood now, <laughs> what I learned yeah. in the sport. And it really helps because this is way more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agree. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah. but I have taken up way too much of your time. But before I let you go, I want to ask you the three questions that I ask everybody before I let them yeah. go. And just, I think we, you probably answered them in some, but we can maybe get a to the point answer. I mean, do you think concise answers? Yeah, we got to be concise now. No, it's like summarizing the whole conversation. (laughs) Now, do you think that you would be in a different place right now if you had, well, I'd say if you trained your mind right from the start, but you almost did. You almost did. So you wouldn't be like, you didn't start much before that. I would. I'll say it this way. I believe I am where I am today because I found sports psychology so early on in my career. Yeah. I think you're probably the only person that I know or have ever talked to that can say, no, yeah, I did it from the start. (laughs) It's like everybody starts with strength training right from the start. You started with mental training and this is, it takes most of us some time to (laughs) figure this out. (laughs) Okay, then we get to what is your why? Why do you throw javelin? Like, what does it give you? Why do you do it? Yeah, so again, this is pretty much held strong for me for my entire career. And if I go back to the very beginning of when I wrote this out, um, you know, there's a very clear difference between the goals that I was chasing and the reason that gets me up every day. And what I found to be quite holistic in my approach and my pursuit of this was feeling like I inspired others. I was a role model Mm -hmm. and I led by example, um, hopefully for the next generation of throwers to come through. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. Inspiring others. It's a huge motivator. So then comes the last one. And as we talked about before, the name of the podcast is the Athlete Zone podcast. And you described so beautifully mm-hmm. for us here how you got in the, or like when you were in the zone, <laughs> when you threw that throw in Doha. But my question is, how do you get in the zone? I embrace my environment and I come back to allowing myself to do the thing that I've trained for. Yeah. So <laughs> as, as concise and as simple as that is, I, I lean into my environment and I lean into the energy that it gives me, but then I come back to this real centered place of peace yeah. that allows me to then go and express myself so completely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You just, and then you just let your body do it without standing yeah. in its way and don't let it go. Strings. Yeah. That's <laughs> a great one. So thank you so much, Kelsey, for this incredible, incredible, like information that you've given us here. Like this, it's (laughs) been so inspiring hearing your story. And I, I feel exactly the same now as I felt when I talked to Thomas Rödler. I'm like, damn, I should have talked to you guys about this, like this earlier (laughs) when I was still (laughs) throwing myself. I'm like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I know. (laughs) Like it's going through my mind now, all the mistakes that I made. I'm like, "Mm." damn it. (laughs) 
But it's just, I guess this is where you're you're giving back because yes, that's, maybe you missed out, but you are now taking the opportunity to maybe share this information with some younger yeah. athletes. And exactly. I hope they take that on board. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I know how much it matters and I'm learning, even from these interviews, I'm learning so much myself. And I know that this is gold forever for anyone who is willing to take it in and use it. And I know that it can be a game changer. I mean, I have a PhD in immunology and I'm a pharmacist, but I'm working with like helping athletes with the mental side. So yeah. that's how important I know it is. So before yeah. I let you go, where can people find you if they want to follow your journey and, and all that good stuff? Yeah, I guess my main platform is on Instagram these days. So yeah. Kelsey Lee Barber. And yeah, I'll yeah. try and keep my journey to Paris uh, updated and yeah. definitely like competition results. But, yeah, wow. Yeah, we didn't even <laughs> we didn't even get into that. But obviously, like you're <laughs> going for Paris. And if I know you correctly, you're going for gold. There's nothing less. Than yeah, this. I was like, is there any other goal in mind? There <laughs> yeah. is only one. <laughs> but are you feeling good gold. now? Feeling good? And yeah, definitely. I think, you know, again, there was a lot to take out of last year and to yeah. prep for this year. But you know what? I am just in a really happy place with my training and my 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 throwing at the moment. And okay, I can't ask for more than that right now. I'm super happy to hear that, and I look forward to watching you in Paris because I know it's always a blast watching you throw. <laughs> <laughs> Down to that sixth and final round. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just it's that. It shines through like you're so focused, but at the same time, you're so obviously having so much fun. And I love it when athletes show emotion and I get carried away. And like I cried with you in Doha and I watched it again and I cried <laughs> again. Like it's just I love this stuff. So so I will make yeah, sure if yep, sorry. Oh, I was going to say if I can say one last thing, it's of like, of course, I I think it's just I feel super grateful that I got to find Javelin in this world because it's something that I'm so passionate about. And yeah. if there's anything else reflected from watching other athletes is I really genuinely love watching the passion that they have yeah. for their events. So for anyone listening out there, like go and pursue your passion. Like exactly. it's, it leads you to some really wonderful experiences. Yeah. Whatever it is, whether it's Javelin or some other yeah. sport or anything else, it anything. doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, and I think I can tell you from my personal experience, you're definitely inspiring people, <laughs> even old retired moms. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but Kelsey, thank you so much for the chat. I loved catching up with you and, and getting to dive into all these things. Thank you so much. Mm, thanks for allowing me to relive some of those moments. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> well done finishing another episode of the Athlete Zone podcast. Connect with me at Athlete Zone Podcast on Instagram and share your thoughts. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, train smart.